1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
0: Hey guys, hey (laughs) 99ers, are you guys willing to change your fan base name? Because we have a new podcast on Patreon, podcast like it's 1989, and we're looking to turn some of you 99ers into 89ers that's the hope uh, that you're interested in hearing us talk about some of the best films of 1989 uh, from Batman to When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones Last Crusade Field of Dreams Major League with great guests like Tom Myson and Liz Hanna Joanna Robinson Chuck Hayward Brian Cogman uh, you can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989 for $5 you'll get access to audio for all of these fantastic episodes and for a few bucks more you get video of our 99 episodes as well as our 89 episodes Welcome to podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liscove, and with us today is Molly Lambert, writer, podcaster. She has a Heidi Fleiss podcast coming out soon on iHeartRadio, and she's here to talk with us about episode 217, 20-something girls versus 30-something women. Um, So Molly, uh, just to kind of rewind with you a little bit and go back to 1999, and do you remember where you were and how this show came into your life?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was watching it with my parents for sure, um, okay. Okay. which I've been thinking about during quarantine because I've seen some people saying, some younger people saying they were watching TV with their parents. And I was like, oh, has this made it so people are doing that again? A friend of mine um, who does the show Dickinson was saying, like, she retweeted somebody who was like, oh, God, I was so embarrassing watching the Dickinson finale with my parents. Cause sure sure
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of sexy time in that yeah um, do you, is it sorry just to just to pause for a second do you do we don't have to do the video if that makes if it if it's awkward for you visually whatever you prefer I'm just putting that out there just in case it's easier for you whatever whatever
2: you I mean if you want to just like record a segment of it that's video and just like let me know I can I can <laughs> move my my camera <laughs> to a slightly less in your face place
0: wherever however you want to do it like that that looks great if, the, if you're cool okay, with yeah. that i just think like, i
2: tend to like lean into the mic and
0: then i, I do the same thing so yeah. i'm right there with you i like your picasso t-shirt by the oh, way thank
2: you okay
0: uh so i'll just i'll just i'll hit you with the question again just to sort of lead into it but okay, um
2: great. oh <laughs> sorry let me just um no worries rearrange
0: Okay. Um, So in 1999, uh, where were you in 99, and how did Sex and the City come into your life?
2: I was at home with my parents, and that is how I watched Sex and the City, was like with my mom. Uh, Probably the worst way to watch it, but also (laughs) now I'm nostalgic for it.
0: So, I mean, I... Okay, so I guess my question to you is this. I feel like uh, as, a, as a woman and as a writer and as someone who is obviously on the pulse of the zeitgeist of pop culture um, and anyone who isn't following you on Twitter is doing it wrong as far as I'm concerned, but I just sort of wonder how this show felt to you when you were a younger woman, how it feels to you now. I mean, obviously some things have not aged well. We'll talk about some of those things. But... Does the show still stay with you? Do you feel as though it kind of affected you the way that you think about female protagonists on television and had dating and all that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, definitely, 100%. I totally thought this show was about what it's like to be a grown-up a little bit. Um, I definitely thought the characters were much older than they actually are. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Just because they seemed like such adults. Yeah. But I think in a way, the show is sort of uh, predictive of now because it's about a bunch of women in their 30s and 40s who are like, oh, I haven't reached like the goalposts that I thought society expected me to reach at this point. You know, people in their 30s aren't getting married, aren't, you know, settling down in like a traditional way. Um, And that seems like that's only become more of a thing since the show was on.
0: I think it's actually really interesting, and we'll and we'll you know I want to dig deeper into this as we get into this specific episode, but there is something very interesting about this specific episode, this idea of the the versus idea you know of twenty something women versus thirty something women um I kind of want to unpack this a little bit with you because it's something that I was actually talking to a friend of mine uh, about the other day, a female friend of mine about how much harder women are on each other than perhaps men are on each other like there, there, there's a competitive thing kind of implanted in you at a young age either through media or through you know whatever the case might be and this episode really kind of underlines that idea did you feel as though it still resonated with you
2: yeah I mean I don't really I think I've gone my whole life trying to sort of like counter act that idea <laughs> sure, sure. you know like if yeah. I, I I don't like competing with women at all uh yeah. I, prefer to compete with men. (laughs) 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 Just creatively, at least. Sure, sure. You know, I'm like, I gotta, you know, that's like, with women it's more like, because there's so few of you generally in spaces, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're not just competing with each other and punching down on each other because that's what they want you to do, you know, so you don't notice that the men are getting all the promotions and jobs and stuff. So... I definitely think about, I think this is a great episode of the show because I do, I do think it's about sort of like being a little bit in denial that you're not in your 20s anymore and then being mm-hmm. confronted with like the proof that right. you can't just, you're not just um, the person you were and, you know, people think of you differently, even if you don't think of yourself differently.
0: Uh, it also taps into the idea of uh, how much do we really change? <laughs> um, you know what yeah. I mean? That I, totally. Sorry, totally.
2: No, I mean, I totally agree. And I think all my favorite TV shows are about how people don't really change.
0: Yes. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know,
2: like, when I think about it, all the shows I think are really classic and that really hold up, you know, Sopranos, Mm -hmm. Mad Men, The Wire, uh, Mm -hmm. this, are about how people don't change and about how they try to change and they want to change and they have flaws and they, like, learn about their flaws and try to work on them and then ultimately uh, you are who you are and you were probably the same person that you are when you were 10.
0: Yeah. One of my uh, favorite shows is Six Feet Under, which I also feel does a very similar idea, which is um, you don't really change and then you die. Uh, It it really does sort of feel like, um, yeah, I mean the best shows are the shows that I think kind of look down the barrel of, of, you know, existentialism in some form or another and what it means to be alive. And we strive to become better people. And I don't necessarily think that a lack of change and being good or bad are synonymous. Like, I think that this idea of evolution I think is more just about experience and it's about sort of, you know, opening yourself up to, um, you know, whatever, however that sort of the people that you meet and, and the experiences you have and how they make you hopefully a better person. But, I do think that this show, from sort of thirty thousand feet, really kind of goes through an evolution of its own as well, right? Which is that it starts at, as as one show in season one, um, and then ends as a very different show in the movies, and now we have a revival. So, like, you know,
2: yeah, definitely. And I mean, they bring in uh, Mr. Big pretty quickly, so they do. you know, in the pilot. It's, yeah, it's not <laughs> just a sitcom where it's like, but. They definitely, like, they pad out the longer arcs with the sort of, like, boyfriend of the week yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also like that stuff. That stuff is fine. Towards the end, it's like everybody has a relationship arc and you kind of miss the yeah. sort of just like, hey, a New York character actor playing a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, here, here's a question for you. Uh, in the first episode of the of this miniseries, I had Emily Nussbaum on um, to talk about her New Yorker article, which I'm not sure if you've read. But Oh, I've read she, it, yeah. She talks uh, in that about sort of whether or not the show pulls its punches at the end, um, in terms of trying to have its cake and eat it too, right? Which is giving everybody a, a relationship, but also making the end of the show be about. But friendship is all that matters. Yeah. It's trying to do better.
2: I mean, I was in college when the finale came out, and sure. I like had a, a viewing party with my two other friends. Uh, my friend Marjan, who was like my other. Uh, mm-hmm. Sex in the City watching Friend, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were sure. like, let's make plans to go to somebody's apartment that has HBO, HBO. <laughs> uh, and watch the finale and like drink yeah. wine, which I, you know, don't do that much, but I was like, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> Sex sure, in sure. the City. Um, and I remember being really disappointed by the finale. Uh, I definitely had sort of stopped watching the show a little bit, I think because I was in college, but I really had it in my head that uh, Carrie would end up alone and that that would be like the happy ending, would be like she's, you know, the city is her true love. She doesn't have to end up with a man to be like happy and have a fulfilled life, and that's the point of the show is yep. like everything else can just be good. Um, but obviously I think that the fandom and just like maybe the creatives behind the show at that point were like, no. <laughs> like She's ended yeah, up with Mr. Well, Big.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that cuz I I just did a um a, a full rewatch of Girls um which well, obviously it's funny has You mentioned has that cuz yeah, I yeah. think
2: there's something similar happened in both shows which is mm-hmm. that they have a really good actor playing the like bad boy boyfriend and <laughs> you know the emotionally mature thing for the character to do would be to like get the hell away from this person. But that character immediately becomes so popular because everybody likes Chris Noth and Adam Driver that you find a way to keep writing them back on because if you got rid of them, the audience would be mad.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, listen, it's it's unfair to compare these two shows to some degree because I do think they're very different. Their aims are completely different. They're... they're Artistic aspirations are different, right I mean, I think that Lena Dunham, uh, early in her career, which I imagine will be a long career. I think she 's tremendously talented um, you know had the 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 wherewithal and the courage to go to the places that she wanted to go with the show right um and it was ever and also girls was never the the zeitgeist sort of magnet that sex in the city was
2: oh well, I disagree. I think it was the same kind of thing of just like this is what it 's like for women now that are single, but I think it gets away very quickly from like, this is what it's right. like for women that are single with both shows and becomes a different show about relationships. Um, right. That is also good on its own terms. But again, I think they both did the same thing, which is like, they make the male love interest sort of like such an asshole that then when they're like, but he's got a heart of gold, it becomes sort of a fairy tale about like... Hey, that guy who's an asshole and is treating you really badly and like stringing you along for years, like he's gonna figure it out by the end. So, like, just keep hanging on. <laughs> which is like not a good message, but not, again, not it's message. like you don't want to write Chris Noth and Adam Driver off Adam of those Driver. shows because yeah. they're great characters and great actors. Yeah. Um. And I just also understand that, like, by the end of Sex and the City, there was like a certain rabid fan base of Sex and the City people that were like. She's gotta end up with big or we're gonna riot.
0: <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. Um hey hey Ernie, are you there, first of all? <laughs> Maybe? No? Okay. I just wasn't sure if Molly's audio was was it cracking up for you or was it just for me? Okay, great. Then I don't care. Great. Uh just making sure. Um yeah, I mean I fully agree with you that um especially with sex in the city. It Had she not ended up with Big, I think that there might have been, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about riots, but there certainly would have been problems. I think that...
2: By riots, question, I mean like a protest in front of the Magnolia Bakery. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: Indeed, indeed. Yes. Um, I, I guess the, the question ultimately is, you know, had the show ended on the terms that I think you and I both would have preferred, which is one of... Uh, not even so much independence as a recognition by Carrie that she's not good at being in relationships. <laughs> like, it, it, you look at all of these different people, and and fundamentally, there's a part of me that's like, she has to, in some way or another, sublimate a part of herself to be with some of these men. Or if she doesn't do that, which she shouldn't have to, then they find her too aggressive, or they can't handle it, or whatever the case might
2: be. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, I, I think that Carrie... Bradshaw as a character has been reevaluated so negatively recently. You know, everyone's like, she's such an asshole. She's such a bad friend. Um, she's not yeah. a good person. Yeah. And I felt like that was all in the show always. And that was part of what I liked about it was that it was about somebody who was kind of like a selfish asshole and who was a woman. Uh and there's a good quote from Sarah Jessica Parker where she talked about how like the outrage that they got when Carrie cheated on Aiden with Big uh, was like worse than like Tony Soprano gets for killing people. You know, <laughs> that they were like, yeah. Oh, like how yeah. can she come back from this? Like she's such a horrible person. And it's like, well, it's not good TV to watch somebody like making the right choices all the time. You know, the whole point is that she like makes the wrong, ch- the bad wrong choice. Uh, Cause it's like temporarily pleasurable. Which again is like what I think all these shows are about is like can you can you put your short term satisfaction on the back burner for something more long term if you're the kind of person that's always just been chasing your your pleasure?
0: Yeah, I I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I I feel like you know. Part of the reason that I think the show has stood the test of time is the fact that these characters are a little bit broken, um, that they're allowed to be a little bit broken, and and why that was so groundbreaking at the time. You know, if you look at your shows like Friends or basically anything on broadcast television at the time, these characters were were likeable times a million like that was all that they cared about and it was clear that on on this show um that was not paramount that that what was much more important was showing depth and showing some sort of a a, a brokenness
2: and it's funny and that's what makes them that's what makes In the show area. continue to be likable i mean i honestly had a really hard time with 6 feet under because I felt like it would punish me for, like, wanting any of the characters to be likable at all, you know? Like, I felt like
0: (laughs) like it went so
2: far in the direction of, like, everyone's a horrible person that I sometimes found it hard to watch. And even Claire, who was sort of, like, the one good Mm -hmm. person, young person who could maybe, like, escape the family's curse, it's like, then she just becomes an asshole, too, which is totally realistic, but... She's also watch.
0: a fellow redhead, so I'm, I'm sure She's there's something. She's a fellow
2: redhead. I love yeah. that actress. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Lauren Ambrose is Lauren great. Lauren Ambrose yeah.
2: is great. Yeah. But there is like a point where she goes to art school and she becomes just like also becomes an asshole, a selfish <laughs> asshole. Uh, and I find that really hard to watch because it's like I need the characters can be bad people. They don't have to be likable people, but they have to be like, like interesting likable characters for Mm -hmm. me you know i Mm -hmm. do think bad people can be the best most interesting characters but i don't think someone just being a bad person automatically makes them interesting
0: i i fully agree with you um i i think that and i think that actually kind of um feeds relatively well into this episode in the sense that... I'm going to give a brief synopsis just for the people that haven't watched it. Carrie unexpectedly runs into Mr. Big and his new 20-something girlfriend, Natasha, at a Hamptons party. Miranda tries in vain to have some mature fun in the Hamptons. Charlotte pretends to be 27 so she can date a cute 26-year-old named Greg. And Samantha's 25-year-old former assistant is hired to throw a Big Hamptons party using her Rolodex for the guest list. 20-something Girls versus 30-something Women aired on September 26th, 1999. It was written and directed by Darren Star and on vultures ranking it is number 27 of 96 episodes they quite liked it uh yeah, they said I... yeah sorry go ahead oh no go ahead i was just gonna say that they said the show becomes a gripping combination of soap opera comedy and affecting drama will truly get addicted to at that point
2: yeah i mean i think this is one of the best episodes of the show for sure it's when i think about like what are the standout episodes of sex in the city this is definitely one of them um I think even watching the show at the time, it had a lot of aspects that were, like, incredibly problematic. And and I was aware that it was racist when I was watching it, you know? Sure. A, um, a, I think people who are like... It's a very white show. Right. Yeah. And people who are like, it was a different time. It's like, okay, well, if you, live in, if you have characters that live in New York and they go, like, a thousand years and never date anyone who's not white, or if they do, it's like a whole episode about it that's racist. <laughs> like when Samantha dates a black guy. And Indeed. It's just like... Anytime they went into you know that zone, it was like clear that they were out of their depth and couldn't do it um,
0: which it, is it also because- felt like it also felt like they um, felt forced to do it if that makes sense like it, it, it like almost I, I imagine that if if they you know if they really dug deep, these writers are very talented and i I believe that they could have found a way to tell these stories in an interesting and compelling fashion. I think that um, the the, the powers that be were not telling them that they needed to. It just, uh, so, you know, there's just, like
2: um, a type of way they could have done it that was casual, that they don't sure. do it. That if you want to see a good example of like what that is like, I think the show Insecure kind of took some of the things that we liked about Sex in the City, about dating in a big city, and did mm-hmm. it in a way that's like modern and casual and diverse mm-hmm. and doesn't make every episode that involves interracial dating about interracial dating, specifically, right. the way that Sex and the City does.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, and, and then you... you the, I guess the irony on some level is that you can look at Darren Starr's new show, Emily in Paris, which is a prime example of everything we're talking about, which is that it feels like it's also living in its own weird little bubble well, of Well, Emily of in Paris
2: interest. seems like it's taking everything about the later seasons of Sex and the City that like some people liked, but not the people that liked the early parts of Sex and the City, and blowing it up to sort of Technicolor widescreen. Um, but the thing I liked about Sex in the City in the beginning was, yeah. you know, the pilot was directed by Susan Sadelman, who made Desperately Seeking Susan. There was much more of sort of like a, a funky downtown aspect to it that it gradually loses as they become sort of like rich white women on the Upper East Side, you mm-hmm.
1: know? Yep, um, yep.
2: But you know, when you read the columns that it's based on, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very much about like Carrie just going out in the world and like being a a, a sociologist of, you know, observing people's mating and dating habits. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's I would say that it has a freedom in those early seasons that it doesn't have in the in the It has a universe.
2: freedom and it has a darkness and they go back to that darkness occasionally like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's the episode called Splat that's like one of oh, the, the, the later episodes it's yeah. a great episode that's about like what if you overstay your welcome at the party <laughs> yep. what if being the party girl in New York has like a sad dark ending instead of like this happy ending and it almost yeah. like splits off into this this thing of like, what if we had gone with what the show started out as and showed you sort of like the sad, depressing things that can happen to people even that have, you know, high powered careers and great wardrobes. Um, Because I feel like the show, I feel like the writers of the show at a certain point were like, we can't let these women end up miserable and alone. Because it'll say something about us, and like we want them to be in relationships, so like we want to be in relationships, and we don't want
0: to say. Totally agree with you. We don't want to
2: say that like women of a certain age can't find love, you know. And I love the show Real Housewives of New York because to me, it's like I, you know, a lot of what I like about the Real Housewives shows is it is just like women of a certain age, many of whom are still single, and they're just, like, teenagers. Like, all they want to do is date, and they just, like, fight over guys and, like, you know, sell each other out. Like, it's very just funny how immature they are, you know, but they all are, like, you know, I'm going to find love. I'm going to find my soulmate. And... I find that so interesting because it's like you never see women of that age, especially not just like interacting with each other on TV. It's so rare. Um,
0: well, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that. And and at the end, I want to get your thoughts on the revival, which I think is actually a little bit of a... Uh, you're teeing up a little bit here in terms of where that could go. But in terms of, of episode 217, just so we can get um, through this, I, I I want to kind of just talk about the... The theme of the episode, which is sort of about whether or not we should fear the younger generation, fear our younger selves, this idea of of sort of do you learn, do you grow are there are there changes that come with um with age um i I think that uh, um, they do a good job of making young people seem stupid
2: well that's the that's the problem I think with this episode is they're like you can tell which side the writers are on it's like yeah. uh. Clearly yeah. they are siding with the 30-something women, but um this episode it was also important to me because it's where I learned everything I know about Hampton share houses.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Which
2: is something I like know nothing about because I'm from California. I have no mm-hmm. experience with like the jitney or whatever, but <laughs> I now do a podcast about Summer House on Bravo which is sort of like this episode of Sex and the City as an entire yep. show. It's like people in their really 30s is. and people in their 20s trapped in a Hampton share house and like the 20-somethings are totally mean to the old, the slightly older people being like they're washed up losers and the <laughs> older people are like, the younger <sighs> people are like directionless uh, bimbos. So I, yeah, I, I, I you definitely, know, Yeah.
0: As before, we, before we started this, uh, before we started recording this, um, Molly had a, a background for uh, Below Deck, so we talked a little bit about how my roommate is is a big Below Deck fan, and she is a a big Summer House fan as well, and. Um, it is on in our TV room while I am on my phone. So periodically, uh, I I look up to try to engage with these Your pretty there. loathsome people.
2: They're, they're they're so loathsome. And one thing about Summer House is it makes me appreciate Vanderpump Rules, where everybody is like a cater waiter who came to L. A. with dreams of stardom. But like, they're so much more likable to me because they're not like the people in Summer House are all aspiring yuppies. They're all mm-hmm. waspy. People that are aspiring to this like upper class lifestyle that to them sure. is symbolized by the Hamptons, and so that Sex in the City episode provided all the context <laughs> I've ever had for this because because like as a California person it just blows my mind. I'm like, wait, they go to the Hamptons house, but only on the weekends. Yeah. But they pay for a house that they're only going to on the weekends, but then during the week it's they insane. have to go back into New York and do their jobs, mm-hmm. like. What a nightmare! Yeah. Um,
0: Well, it's funny you say that because, like, uh, midway through the episode, Carrie goes back to New York, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, they just bounce back and forth.
2: Got to turn her column in because there's (laughs) there's no no internet uh, no internet. I mean, that's actually what's been great about this season of Summer House. I just started doing a Summer House podcast last summer because I was in quarantine and I felt crazy, so I did a I do a podcast called Summer House Quarantine. Sure. Um, and now it like didn't occur to me it would go on so long that I would get up to a, se- a second season of Summer House where they're in quarantine. Yep. But it's actually better because it means they're forced to stay at the house all the time. They don't go back to the city. They're just trapped in a house with each other. <laughs> and so it does become people just sort of like uh ripping on each other's long-term relationships and being like, you know... The people that are in serious relationships are like, you know, oh, we're so much more settled than the people that are single. And the single people are like, oh, like, these losers, like they're out of the party zone now. So, you know, (laughs) why are we hanging out together?
0: It does feel like, I mean, to your point, I think this episode does a really good job of showing kind of the chasm between these two things. The idea of being in your twenties, the idea of being in your thirties, the 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 hopes, and, and and again, this is something that That unfortunately affects probably women more than it affects men, which is just that this. I mean, there's a biological clock. There's this. There does feel like there is a ticking clock.
2: I just think it affects men just as much. Like men, you know, their sperm gets old too.
0: (laughs) Their sperm does get old. That that might be the pull quote of this episode.
2: Well, I think it's like it is. The the scary thing is like having to make decisions right having to make serious decisions and i was just reading something about like a book that came out that is about basically how adulthood just keeps getting delayed further and further Mm -hmm. um and one of the things the book said was like that you would think that making all these decisions would make people less neurotic and more settled but that people who actually like haven't made all of their life choices yet are actually Mm -hmm. Happier because sure, sure, there's still possibilities open in their lives. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I do think there's like this rush to settle down, and then there's people start getting divorced. Um, yep, and that's all very like I thought it was very 50s, but it still is what happens. It seems like, it's true. um, so yeah, I think this episode is about sort of like, and the whole show is about like you know, can you have it all? And yeah. At a certain point in the show, they're like, we're not going to say that you can't have it all because that's too depressing, you know? Um, Oh,
0: 100%. Yeah.
2: And there's quotes from Sarah Jessica Parker where she said that early on she felt like Carrie was an alcoholic, which (laughs) tracks, but also (laughs) they definitely just go away from like, let's explore that at a certain point. And like, maybe that's not the show that other people want to see is like, Carrie realizing she's an alcoholic and going to AA and stuff, or just like Carrie, like drinking herself into embarrassing situations. But the moment of this episode that I think is great is like, she's talked herself up. Everything's great. She's wearing the most insane outfit at the beach party. She's wearing a cowboy hat and a tube top.
0: cowboy hat, yeah.
2: Classic. Um, yeah. You know, she's like, everything's great. I love my friends. We're all drinking champagne on a beach. And then she sees big and Natasha together and she goes and has to throw up
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's well what's great about it is I would agree with you it's 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 definitely the 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 end of the episode is fantastic because it allows itself to kind of mirror something they had seen previously in the episode which is they go to this bonfire party and they see this 20-something girl and she's puking and her friend is holding back her hair and then the end of the episode, Carrie's doing the same thing on the beach. Right,
2: she's like, oh, aren't we glad we've outgrown that and we're not like that anymore and then it's like, no, you haven't outgrown that you never outgrow it Um, your stomach can always get punched in in some way
0: And also just even like when she meets Big and Natasha, like the the, the crushing moment for me in that interaction is when she then tries to cover and talk about this guy that she's there with, who she's not really there with, who she's not really all that interested in. (laughs) Yeah. It's really sad.
2: I mean, there is a plot line like this on Summer House this season too, where (laughs) where, um, Hannah, who's sort of your Carrie Bradshaw, she's like funny and and cute, but in a slightly offbeat way. And the guy that she thought she was going to be hooking up with at the summer house shows up with a girlfriend. And then she does what Carrie does, which is the only thing you can do, which is to be super nice to the girlfriend to try and like show that you're not intimidated and that you're cool with it, which is like all totally bullshit. But like, (laughs) what are your options? You know, your options are either to be a mean bitch to younger women, which, you know, sucks um, but obviously <laughs> yeah, people true. do it all the time uh-huh. because they are threatened um, or to be like really overly nice and be like look, I'm your friend you know I do think there's a thing where it's like if you're if your 38 year old male friend is dating a 22 year old and you're being nice to her in a social situation, Nothing you can say to her is going to make her be like, Oh, you're right. Like this guy sucks and like I shouldn't yep. be dating him. And I'm going to realize that later. Cause like she has to go through it for herself the way your friends did. You know, I think, I think sometimes older women are trying to like pass on whatever they've learned. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you can't stop people from making the same mistakes that you made. You can just sort of like stand back and watch.
0: Well, that's, that's, I mean, I think that that's also one of the the takeaways from the episode, too, which is, you know. 20 somethings have to kind of go through their shit, right? Like they all have to kind of go through it and you can't protect them from from the mistakes that they're going to make. Um and 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 even on on the Charlotte storyline, which we'll talk about in a second, you'll still make mistakes even in your 30s when you're trying to pose as being something that you're not. Um the episode opens with a Brady Bunch type opening with a bunch of Charlotte's friends that are all kind of Oh
2: god, of, right.
0: It's and it, and you're just like, here's here's one of the things that I Really disliked about the first couple seasons of the show, which is the the fourth wall breakage, really fucking drove me crazy.
2: How many shows in the late 90s did fourth wall breaking and then stopped? Because, yes, yes. there was that. Because it's annoying. (laughs) It's annoying, but it was like, let's make everything meta a little bit. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense as like a a thing for Carrie because she's writing a column and the idea that she's telling you about all these people she knows, but they also, at a certain point, they have no other friends.
0: Well, the thing is that I think is interesting, um, is the only person who writes really, well, that that might, this might not be fair. I'll just say this. Darren Star likes the fourth wall breaking. Um, it's clear that, you know, he started the show, he created the show, um, and that that meta-ness is part of the show for him. Um, it goes away, thankfully, when he leaves the show for the most part, um, this is kind of feels like a a last kind of gasp at it with this Brady Bunch all looking at the camera thing because we don't get any more fourth wall breaking from this point on in the series, um, but we see this it's and it's really, all sure Char- that's yeah, the last
2: time they ever break the fourth wall. It's I believe it is that.
0: So, yeah um charlotte's friends are all they all have a cottage together in the hamptons but there's some drama between all of them so they all go their separate ways and charlotte is offered a chance to rent their hamptons cottage for a cheap price and she convinces carrie and miranda and samantha to come with her even though they're all kind of like really this feels this feels like something we would have done five seven years ago why are we doing this now um and so that's kind of the thrust of the story, right? They're going to the Hamptons, it's the Hamptons episode, and obviously the the, the gut punch at the end is is the big reveal mixed into all of this. You have Samantha has an assistant named Nina G who's like this 20 something bratty assistant who Samantha ultimately kind of berates a little bit at the beginning. And Nina's like, fuck you. I'm out of here. Leaves, takes her Rolodex with her, which is a bold move.
2: Well, I think the idea is that she's like Samantha from the past. And so right. Samantha is like, fuck you. Like you can't, <laughs> right. Right. You can't be me from the past.
0: Right. It's a little bit, it, it's it's what it is. But uh, they then all meet up at the Hamptons Jitney that you referred to earlier, which is a bus that apparently takes you bus. to and from.
2: It's called the Jitney, but it's just a bus. It's just a bus.
0: I do like the word Jitney. It has such a 20s it. vibe. It
2: sounds like it's like a little train or something. <laughs> But it's just,
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's just a bus. It's just a bus. Charlotte shows up there with this guy Greg, played by Anson Mount, who has gone on to have a pretty successful career. Um, he's 26. She's posing as 27. Uh, he shows up at the cottage. Charlotte tells everyone that that they have to pretend as though she's 27 for the weekend or whatever. And Greg invites them all to this bonfire party that a bunch of 20-somethings are at. Fatboy Slim is obviously playing at this bonfire party. Because, it's
2: <laughs> because 1999. You know,
0: it's 1999. Uh, Carrie Smith and Miranda are not thrilled about this bonfire party. Kids are puking. They're drinking from a keg. I mean, it's just th- this all feels like something that they shouldn't be doing anymore, quote-unquote. Um, Carrie meets Laurel Harris, who is played by Rachel Miner, who is this big fan of her column, who is... Really aggravating, um, and is just is just the most sort of cloying, over the top fan she could have. Um, she works at a publishing house. She wants to be a writer of her own. Blah blah blah. Uh, Carrie goes back to the city, and we have this moment where she's looking at a photo album. I don't know if you remember this. It's a oh, yeah. giant, a giant blue photo it's like album like that old makes
2: photos of Sarah Jessica Parker clearly, <laughs> clearly like on a break yeah. from from Annie. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, remember yes,
0: yes. my memory? Yeah. Remember when I was in LA story? So yeah, it was, it's kind of like it's, but she looks like it's just an absurdly large, uh, uh, laughably large giant blue photo album. She takes Laurel with her to a book party where she meets Brad, Dr. Bradley Migo, who, um, seems like a nice enough guy. Uh, I, I, I he seems fine. Um, Laurel says, Oh my God, he's such a fox. I don't know that that's how I would necessarily describe this actor, who is, I think he's in uh, Galaxy Quest in 99 as well. He's a very talented comedic actor. I think they probably wrote it for someone who is maybe a little more cliche hot than this guy is. Um, There's also a moment, there's two moments, and I'm very curious as to your thoughts on this. Laurel says to Carrie at one point at this party, is 25 too young to write a memoir? I would say probably yes. Depends
2: who you are. Depends what you've done. (laughs) I mean, I love, that's one of the reasons I love this episode is because I think it's about, it's like all of the women confront basically their own younger selves. They confront like the ambitious kind of assholes that they were in their 20s that allowed them to get to their like, you know, where they are now. So they all have like, steady jobs and apartments and stuff and all the stuff that like when you're in your twenties you think like connotes adulthood. Um but are <laughs> sure, sure. coming at it from the point of view of like, well we're not grown-ups. So mm-hmm. why are we being treated like grown-ups? But also that sort of realization of like, oh, do I now I have to like defend my spot because there's all these younger people coming for it the same way I was Coming for older people's positions right. when I was their age, that I was like, I'm going to have that column. I'm going to throw this party. Um, and in a way, it's like the natural progression is to be like, okay, now this person takes over for me, but like none of them are ready to do that. And so they're kind of torn between like mentoring these younger women and competing with them. Uh and yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that they're I think you summed it up perfectly, which is that e- I mean, Miranda and Charlotte are kind of on their own storylines. Uh Miranda, quite frankly, and this is unfortunate because this is the second week in a row where she hasn't really had um much of a storyline. Uh last week she got new sheets, so that's a pretty low <laughs> bar. Um but but I do think that uh that on the on the Carrie and certainly on Samantha storylines, there's definitely this feeling of seeing a younger version of yourself. The the thing about Laurel is she's saving herself for marriage and she's a virgin and there's this whole sort of like nega version of Carrie, right? Like like the, the weird sort of like alternate version of Carrie, um, which totally. I think is really interesting.
2: Which I think also comes off of people coming up to people who made the show and being like, yeah. you know, I love the show. I'm 16. Me and all my girlfriends talk about it when we're right. like having our blowjob talks and the writers being sort of like horrified by that yeah. because they were yes. like, oh, we didn't realize <laughs> like that's what this leads to. I do also think that one of the things that seems sort of period piece about the show now is the fact that, like, all of the women in their 30s do have these, like, stable careers. Yeah. Um, because now nobody has a stable career, really. <laughs> yes, so,
1: yes. Yeah.
2: You know, the idea of, like, that somebody would be like, I have to get to, like, where they are. It's like, well, where where would they be now? Like, Carrie, yeah. I imagine, would be freelancing. <laughs>
0: Correct. There's also a moment where Carrie asks Laurel, she's, Laurel tells her that she's a virgin, and Carrie says, well, what are you considering sex? And then Laurel says, are you implying I'm some sort of Lewinsky? That line, unfortunately, doesn't Ugh, age very well, um, and feels very much of a time um, when it was okay to apparently... Well, the weirdest you know, thing about Sex and the City
2: that when you rewatch it really stands out is how unbelievably prudish it is for a show yeah. about... Yeah sex in the city Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and especially just carrie as a sex columnist is like so prudish Mm -hmm. you know biphobic like yep doesn't actually seem interested in like the (laughs) wide spectrum of human sexuality in the way that you would assume a sex columnist would be but it's very 90s it's very like you know that is kind of what the real column was like uh and it's it's uh, it seems weird now. It plays weird now, yeah. but it also played weird at the time. I think that yeah.
0: It, I think that I think that this show gets dinged for a lot of stuff, and I think one of the things it gets dinged for sometimes is just like going for an easy, low-hanging fruit joke that that just you know that you don't need. You don't you don't need the Monica Lewinsky blowjob joke. Like it's just it's it's you just don't need it. Um and it, and it it's what it is. Um. It's a relic of its time. It's unfortunate. I, I,
2: right. I mean, and I do think, like, it, in the context of that time, it is like a lot of people learned about sex from reading the mm-hmm. Clinton deposition stuff. That was <laughs> sure, you, sure. You know, like, yeah, reading yeah. that stuff in, in a newspaper uh, was crazy. And like, some of the things that Sex in the City introduced into the cultural lexicon, we just take so for granted now because. They've been with us like since then, but like that was definitely the first time I ever saw a vibrator on TV, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Uh, or saw women talking about masturbation. Like some of the stuff that they did was groundbreaking at the time, but now, you know, now in comparison to now, it just feels very uh, old timey and quaint.
0: No, and and I think that you know. I think that one of the reasons that the show has stood the test of time is what you're talking about a little bit, right? Which is that even now we recognize how bold this show was at the time, um, and I think that it, it might be cliche now or it might be a little bit you know quaint now, but at the time I think that the show was 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 really quite bold. Um,
2: yeah, and I remember <clears throat> but, just how much hate it got for having like a bunch of women who weren't all completely yeah. traditionally beautiful as like lead romantic interests, you know, like Sarah Jessica mm-hmm. Parker got so much shit for yep. not being a supermodel, which is like what the yep. show's about though. Is it's like, hey, she's Totally. She's totally cute and funny and interesting and like she also deserves love and like mm-hmm. we don't see this on TV. And you know, Sopranos was on at the same time and like one of the things I love about Sopranos so much is that the female characters are also well-drawn and realistic and played by people who look like the actual people that would be in those families. Um, I always talk about Janice Soprano as like my favorite female anti-hero ever, you know, because everybody knows a Janice Soprano. Everybody has somebody like that in their family. That's like a total nightmare. Um, (laughs) But you rarely see it on TV. You rarely see women who look like Aida Torturo allowed to be, like, three-dimensional characters who are kind of, like, can be unlikable the way mm-hmm. that male characters like Tony get to be unlikable. Um, and so I guess I just defend a lot of Sex in the City based on that. It's like, well, like, it was kind of new for them to be assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously, like, very white and very privileged and what they think is, like, the high life that they d- are trying to get into is not what I want necessarily, you know sure. <laughs> like um, but it yeah, did I think sort it's sort of aspirational two thousands for a lot of people to me when I watch it now, it just really feels like the bubble before you know the recession
0: yes. and and September 11th and any number of other things.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, uh, but you know, I, I, so at this point in the episode, Bradley asks Carrie out at this book party. Um, and he, she's, she's like, yeah, I'm going back to the Hamptons. He's like, Oh, we should meet up. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then he presses her and she's like, okay, here's my phone number, but only in case of emergency as a guy. (laughs) I'm just going to say that if you got to push that much to get the phone number... I don't know what you're doing. Because ultimately <laughs> it's not going to pan out. And and later in the episode, they're they're going for a walk together. He asks her to dinner. She says she can't abandon her friends. He asks her out again to get together after dinner. She says, I don't know. Then he says, how about I just call your in case of emergency number over the weekend? It's like, dude, take a fucking hint.
2: Yeah. I mean, also just the way dating works now has changed so much. Um, yeah. There was like a good column that Candace Bushnell wrote a while ago being like, I'm because the real Candace Bushnell, who's the real Carrie Bradshaw, uh, is single. She like married a ballet dancer, um, much like Boroshnikov in the show, and then (laughs) got divorced. And so she wrote this column about trying to get out back out to dating on dating apps. Sure. It was super interesting because she comes out of it being like she feels bad for younger people because she's like, a date used to be a thing where you would like spend the whole night just yeah. like walking around with somebody and to her obviously into the show too. Like that's the most romantic thing in the world. It's like walking around New York with somebody that you're into and like, mm-hmm. you know, seeing where the night takes you and seeing where the city takes you, which yep. sure is totally romantic. And she's very horrified by like hookup culture. Cause she's like, wait, you just text people and then you have coffee and then you decide if you're going to have sex? Like, where's the romance? Where's the horse-drawn carriage ride? Which is funny because I feel like at the time in Sex and the City, it was like the idea, you know, people were criticizing the show for this kind of like hookup culture and this like fast food dating. And to her now, it's like the past seems like it was this incredibly romantic thing compared to now where it feels so transactional. She was like very horrified By how transactional dating apps make everything, even though the show Sex in the City is very much about dating as a transactional thing where you're trying to like jump your class and get up to like, you know, a higher class by dating.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's definitely something kind of uh, paradoxical about what she's talking about there in terms of what she's longing for and also what this show certainly was and what her column certainly was. I mean, I, I think that this show. And again, it comes kind of back to what we were talking about, about how the show ultimately ends, which is that this, this false notions of romance, this false notions of what it is that can satisfy you. I mean, it all seems to be about satisfying, right? It's all about satisf- uh, satisfaction. This idea of if it's sexually, if it's emotionally, if it's, if it's shoes, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's finding some sort of happiness. Um, which again is healthy and unhealthy at the same time.
2: Yeah, and that she matches with Big because he's the person who's the most like her. You know, she yes, doesn't correct. actually want to be with Aiden because Aiden does want kind of like a traditional domestic setup. He probably mm-hmm. wants kids. She definitely doesn't want kids, although they don't get into it. I wish yep. they did more. I do That's too, clearly yeah. one of the things about the show that makes it like, no, she shouldn't be with Aiden because he clearly wants to like move out to the you know the boonies yep. and and have a family, and she loves the city. <laughs> and yep. big big represents her love of the city, or it's like mm-hmm. a harsh place that might reject you, but it's better than anything else. Mm-hmm. And you know the highs are so high.
0: Yep, it's it's. I, I do think this show does a good job of trying to sort of show the different the different types of life you can have within that vicinity if it's the hamptons if it's the boonies if it's manhattan if it's brooklyn like it is trying to show a spectrum of different lifestyles to some degree or another
2: well it's funny too like when miranda moves to brooklyn that's like conceived as like the worst thing she could possibly do yeah,
0: yeah they make it sound as though she's being sent away to prison but
2: i mean i think the specificity of the show works in its favor and that mm-hmm. is what helps it to hold up is it's a time capsule it's a capsule of a very specific type of woman in a specific time and you know i do think when it tries to go outside its bounds in that way that it doesn't fully succeed because it doesn't know what it's talking about but when it sticks sticks to what it knows it's very good and when it acknowledges that it's a show about rich white women who want to be even more rich (sighs) yeah um yeah you know I, I like I personally wish it got more into the downfalls of that. Sometimes it does. Sometimes they talk about women who married rich and then they're miserable. They go see people that like move to Connecticut mm-hmm. and are unhappy. So the show doesn't posit that like marriage and kids will solve your life and make you happy. Um, and that is what I think about the idea of the reboot. Makes it interesting
0: yeah, I um just to wrap up the episode uh, really quickly, we do have a moment where Bradley shows up at the umbrella that uh, Carrie, Miranda, and Samantha are at, um, but there's a great moment, and this comes back to sort of you know what makes this show come to life is the four leads it's great on the page. Don't get me wrong, but it's a moment like Charlotte suggesting to Miranda that she gets some rum so they can make long Island iced teas. And then Greg and Charlotte high-fiving and saying, excellent. And then Cynthia Nixon's delivery of like, excellent. Like Bill and Ted is just like, she understands the edge that Miranda can have the lovable, weird kind of prickliness that she inhabits. And, so many shows tried to emulate this show since, but they all kind of failed in one way or another because it's a chemistry thing, as you know. It's planets yeah, aligning and, think, and all that stuff.
2: I think it does, you know, Friends is a very different show, but I do think the problem is like mm-hmm. when you have a core group of friends that are the core of the show. Anyone else you bring in is going to have to be, like, really amazing to find their way in there. I actually yeah. think Friends did a good job when they brought on Paul Rudd at the end, who's, like, yeah, yeah. the only person that could conceivably, like, charm their way into the Friends, you know, <laughs> where you're like, yeah, 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 sure, I want Phoebe to date that guy. Um, yeah. After never having a romantic plot line <laughs> for, like, seasons. For 10 seasons? For 10 seasons. Yeah. I mean, she gets, like, little short ones, but they, you know... Yeah, I think that um, that the chemistry between the four leads is just so great that yeah. that is what makes the show watchable and that's what makes you come back to it. And for sure, I don't think they'll be able to recreate it without um,
0: without uh, Kim Cattrall. Yeah, yeah it's it's, Cattrall. it's 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 a question mark for sure. Um,
2: but I also it, think Kim Cattrall has had like the most. Uh, she has the best viewpoint on the show, where she's like they should just mm-hmm. reboot it with like younger women of color, which is like a hundred percent what they should actually do. You know, she's I, do, like,
0: I, I don't disagree, but I would also like, argue.
2: Stop. Well, I, I just think that like there's a way you could do it where the characters mm-hmm. are like the adults in the universe, you know, but yeah, but you mm-hmm. also show younger people dating because that is sort of the crux of the show.
0: I, I fully, fully agree with you. I think that... Um, I don't know that this revival works. Yeah, unless... I don't think
2: this revival's going to be that. I think in the movie, they wrote in like the Jennifer Hudson character for the movie to be like, look, mm-hmm. here's what it's like if you're a young black woman who loves Carrie Bradshaw, mm-hmm. but they still clearly don't actually like have any idea of what that's like and why it would be different from being Carrie Bradshaw. So... <laughs> they just don't try. So again, I think that like this show probably isn't the show that'll ever do that. I do think Insecure kind of took everything that I liked about Sex and the City uh and and a show about people dating um mm-hmm. and friendships um you know, and is on HBO. But <laughs> and and has good sex scenes, you know. Um but I I don't know. I mean, I understand also why Sarah Jessica Parker like can't let it go. You
0: know, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a quick second here um, uh, as we talk about the revival because I I I am of the of the mind that it is most likely a cash grab that it is most most likely an opportunity to try to get more subscribers to HBO Max um, and it is perhaps uh, an attempt to try to erase any odor that might have uh, emanated from the last film. Um, I think that those are my my assumption are those are the paramount things that it's happening for. I'm gonna also posit the idea that it could also be an opportunity, if they choose to make it an opportunity, to be able to explore what it's like to be over fifty in New York. The third movie in theory was supposed to be about Big dying of a heart attack and Carrie dealing with that. Whether or not there's any legitimacy to that, who knows? If this does become about being a single woman or or trying to have a sex life post fifty in New York City, I'm all for that. I just don't think that's the show they're gonna make.
2: I don't think it's a the show they're gonna make either. But again, that show is uh, Real Housewives of New York, so I can just go watch that when I want to. And fair, Real Housewives of New York also gets into grief because a lot of people's husbands die, sure, sure, um, or leave them for younger women because they're right. you know monsters. Red assholes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so one of the things that's very like poignant and tragic about Real Housewives of New York is that there's all these women who like once held this very high position in New York society. And have had it like stripped away from them again against their will. And but they're all completely convinced that they're gonna get it back. And mm-hmm. that's what makes it like an Edith Wharton novel, is like, <laughs> especially Sonia Morgan, who was married mm-hmm. to a guy from like JP Morgan. And so she mm-hmm. has all these like monogrammed things around her house with the Morgan name. And when people are like, but you're not a Morgan anymore, she like flips out because she's like, I'll always be a Morgan. Like it doesn't matter that's my crest now, you know? And there's one episode where she gets really drunk and she just starts talking about partying with Madonna and John, John Kennedy. And everybody's like, John, John is dead. Sonia. <laughs> like, like you're talking about the past. Jesus. You're like right, right, living right, right. in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, like, very interesting to watch. It's very sad sure. and weird. But it's also, like, all of the women on Real Housewives of New York are, like, in denial that their real mm-hmm. romantic life is about their friendships. They're not like the Sex in the City women who are like, right. what does it matter? We have friends. They're all like, I'm going to step on your head to get to the next Bachelor I see at the Carlisle. Wow. Um, and I you know, kind of love think that because it's like they never. It is like okay, well, they're like they're in their fifties and sixties, but like nobody has grown up. Nobody has actually matured. They've just like gained and lost things and changed addresses, and you're still the same person.
0: Well, I mean, listen, I I think that that all sounds great. I, I guess that the question is is how do you filter? And I I really do believe that there's there's really kind of no reason to make this show unless you actually do have something to say.
2: Yeah. And I don't know if they will, I guess we'll find out. Um, I mean, I think it's like, I, again, I understand why they went in the direction they did with the later seasons of sex in the city. I think there's such a pervasive stereotype that if you're like an older single woman, your life is like miserable and you're a sad person that they were like, we got to counteract that by being like, these women have full lives. And cause I think that's, more realistic you know I don't think every single woman uh is Miss Habisham um but a lot of other shows <laughs> do you know so I
0: yeah. I, I understand
2: no, why why at a certain point they were like everyone's going to be happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, listen, well, I'm, I think we're all going to be curious to see what it ends up being in some form or another. I'll just say this is, cause I do want to just wrap up this episode very quickly with the, with the the scene with big and Carrie is, uh, is a big deal. No pun intended. It also comes after Charlotte gets crabs from Greg. Charlotte Uh, gets
2: crabs. That's the punchline (laughs) of her trying to be young is you can't pretend to be young or you'll get crabs.
0: With a great hard cut to crabs being put into a pot oh while my God. Miranda's cooking. Incredible,
2: incredible, disgusting.
0: <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and Greg also says to Charlotte a great line. He says, I might have given you crabs, but you deceived me, and that's so much worse, which I think is really funny. Um, but the, the big carry scene, I think, is important for a couple of reasons. The first, obviously, being that Big has clearly moved on, that he is back in New York, which is obviously going to uh, have a, a lasting effect. In the finale and in, in episodes to come. Um, but it's also just such a fucking classically big thing of being like, what's the big deal? Like, I'm back, like, whatever. I guess we, what, I just, I'm with a girl and how old is she? I don't know, 26, 27. I don't, how do you not know how old your girlfriend is? Like, it's just insane. To
2: That's, me. I believe that. He doesn't know. All I think, believe
0: it. I just think it's crazy.
2: Well, I think it's also like all people in their 20s are just like in their 20s. Kind of doesn't matter what sure. specific part of their 20s they're in. They're just uh, <laughs> They're just in them. Fair,
0: fair enough, fair enough. But
2: yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the great scenes of the show. And I do mm-hmm. think, like, the Big and Carrie storyline uh, through the first few seasons is great because it is, you know, lots of people date people that they know are bad for them or that, you know, can't give them what they really want. But, like, the sex is great. Yep. Um, or there's some chemistry. Some, and, and I think with Big and Carrie, the I thing is that there's, like, this intellectual chemistry. They're... They get each other's jokes. They make each other laugh. And so she spends the whole series trying to like wait it out and be like, he's going to realize that like the hot chicks that aren't funny aren't as satisfying, you know, ultimately as being with me, the person who like gets him. Um, Yep. Again, I think this sets up like a terrible example for everybody because yep. most Super of the toxic. time you should not <laughs> wait it out yep. for those people. I'm not saying that it never happens, yeah. but like yeah. on both girls and Sex in the City uh, in the first few seasons, they do turn it into like, okay, but. He's being horrible to you, but like deep down underneath, you know, he likes you. So, like, you know, if you can just get him to realize that, which is like, no, go do other stuff.
0: Which, which quite frankly, you know, really is at its worst. In season three, which is Carrie meets Aiden, nice guy, blah, 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 and cheats on him with Big. Big, who is just a complete fucking tool through that entire movie. Yeah, but I think
2: that's also, like, that's the thing. It's like, Aiden is like the perfect guy on paper. I yeah. love mm-hmm. John Corbett because I was a mm-hmm. big Northern Exposure fan. Such a good show, and he know? was so good on it. Yeah, so he yeah. was so good on it. So I think I brought a lot of what I, you know, my like of him came from that I liked his character, the DJ sure, sure. on Northern Exposure so much. Um, but it's a good love triangle because it's equally weighted. You're like, there's mm-hmm. there's upsides and downsides to both of these people and it feels important. You're not just like, mm-hmm. of course, she's going to end up with Big. You're not like, of course, she should be with Aiden. It's like mm-hmm. really a struggle of like, what should she do? Should she be with either of these guys or should she be with nobody? Because they're both bad yep. for her in different ways.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 and I think that, you know, you mentioned this earlier, and I think you're absolutely right, which is as writers, you have to, when you have someone like Chris Noth, and when you have these characters that people love, it is, it is, you know, it's on you to find ways to keep them on the show. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's
2: like it's a marriage plot show. It's like a Jane Austen yeah. novel. If people yeah. end up settled, that's game over for the show. You know, yeah. and they,
0: But it's it's a testament to these writers that they find a way in season four to bring Aiden back into the fold, to bring Big back into the fold, but in ways that feel as though the characters have grown and changed and evolved. Yeah. So this dynamic can exist.
2: I mean, I think the character who grows the most is definitely Charlotte. You know, yes. and I think yes. that the Charlotte and uh, whatever the Kyle McLaughlin character's name is Trey. Trey. Charlotte mm-hmm. and Trey is probably the show's best and most mature plot line because it's yep. like, okay, Charlotte gets everything she wants on paper, but it actually sucks. And like, yep. you know, being avert, trying to not have sex with him until they get married is like a terrible idea. All of the sort of like old school things that she lives her life by turn out to, like, not work out in reality at all, and Mm -hmm. then she makes a choice no wasp would make, which is to not just, like, suck it up and uh, pretend everything's fine for the rest of your life, you know? Yep, yep. Um, And so Charlotte does become, like, less superficial, because she ends up Mm -hmm. with Harry, who she's, like, Repulsed by it first because mm-hmm. he's so like ethnic to her. <laughs> She's like, oh, he's sweaty and Jewish. Oh God,
0: um, yeah, and bald and, and has bald. a has, yeah. But yeah, yeah.
2: you know that plot line is like, but I, but it turns out I like him. Like he makes yeah. me laugh, and like maybe after dating hot, waspy, entitled, rich, privilege guys my whole <laughs> life, I'm like realizing that a guy who treats me well and likes me and worships me is better. I still think there's a little bit of an imbalance in that relationship in that he does like worship her so much because she kind of is like his ideal, you know, he's yeah. getting the wasp princess. And so he's just kind of like, whatever you who, want. Who, uh, who I'll converts. Do it. <laughs> who converts. Um,
0: but and, yeah, I I I think that I, I'm I am in full agreement with you that that Charlotte's arc is the one that is the most pronounced. It's the one that you yeah, look at and I say mean, like this this is a this like, is an arc.
2: Like Miranda, everybody says Miranda's the most relatable character, but like a lot of Miranda's arc is that she doesn't want to date a guy who makes less money than her, which is like completely <laughs> insane. You know, yeah. to to me, yeah. even at the time, I was like yeah you're the breadwinner date a bartender if you date another high-powered lawyer you'll never see each other and like he might be an asshole to you you know like just the struggle she has with like oh i'm like found you know this guy is really sweet and i like him a lot but like oh i can't date him because he's working class it's like Totally insane.
0: It's insane. I mean, she ends
2: up with him. And so we're meant to see that, like, it's okay to date somebody who's working class. But just, like, even having that as an issue is very foreign.
0: I, I, yeah, we, there's an episode, uh, the cast system in season two that explicitly goes into that, that dynamic of, of, uh, bank accounts of all things and and why that sort of has an effect on a relationship. And I mean, listen, it does. Like, it, I'm not, it's not a foreign sure, thing to some degree, like, but... The
2: show ultimately has a pretty retrograde view on those 100%. things, yeah. you know, yes. which is yes, like yes, yes, you... I feel like it's like the rules was out around the same time. There was yes, this kind of yeah. like mm-hmm. retro, like, oh, we've gone too far in the direction of everybody just like having sex and and, you yep. know, making no commitments. We need to go back to this like... And again, that's very like Jane Austeny. It's very like we need to have Mm -hmm. this sort of like regimented system of how dating and marriage works, um, so everyone can like achieve their goals.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean, and again, like it's. I fully agree with you. It does feel as though so many of these characters are are lusting for successful people, and success is subjective, and it doesn't for
2: money. I I mean, (laughs) that's what makes the show feel like such a time capsule, too, is like, in a sense, they all seem, except for Samantha, who, you know, that's why she's the best character is because she really does, like, march to the beat of her own drummer and seem like she doesn't care if she ever gets married. She just wants to, like, live life and have experiences, which is, you know the best of anyone
0: um,
2: <laughs> and they punish her just like a hundred times for it they're just like yeah you, you never get to have a good relationship that's like
0: well know. she gets she does her longest relationship is with uh smith oh, why can I think of, uh, well there's that and then there's the fucking rich uh hotel magnate whose name i'm forgetting oh,
2: right the guy who's um, based on andre balzoss um <laughs> but i think yeah. I like, what is think, his
0: name Uh, Uh, Richard, 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 Richard Richard Wright, yeah.
2: Richard, he's got a perfect dick. That is what we are told about him. That's a thing,
0: that's a thing, that's all we know about him He's he's rich and he's got a perfect dick.
2: I think there's a thing with each of the characters where it's like they meet, they date somebody who is their financial and career equal Yeah, and then they're ultimately like forced to be like, but he's a man and you're a woman so he's always going to be on top, you know?
0: Yep. Yep, Um. But I do think that, to your point, the end of this show, all of the relationships that these characters are in, to some degree or another, it does feel somewhat close to balanced. I mean, Miranda and Steve feel like they're close to balance. I mean, yeah. S- Smith and, and Samantha, Harry and Charlotte, these are all relationships that don't feel too imbalanced. They all
2: end up settled because they all want to end up settled. Correct. And Samantha Correct. doesn't, but she ends up settled sort of despite herself, which is like, Correct. everybody has to compromise on something you know, Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. bit, or at least be like the thing I had in my head when I was 15 about how my life would turn out is like, Mm -hmm. I have to give that up and deal with reality um, and they all do.
0: Carrie doesn't compromise though. Everyone but Carrie has to Perry compromise. Carrie
2: doesn't compromise because she's the main character and so <laughs> she can't compromise. Um, Apparently.
0: But I think yeah. she
2: does compromise. She gives up on on her life in Paris to come back, <laughs> you know.
0: I don't think you really buy that much.
2: I don't really buy it. I mean I also like as you know I the difference in watching the show. I mean I think I love watching the show because it's very nostalgic. It Sure, it's sure. Very it exists in a New York that like never really existed, but especially it yep. doesn't exist now um, where everyone, everyone is like constantly going on like a, a wonderful walk and talk with no, you know, <laughs> specific destination. All the things that seemed fun and cool about being like a grown up who has their own apartment, you know, going out to see your friends. Um, I think when I watch the show now, Um, When I first watched the show, I thought that Chris Noth was a million years old, and I was like... Why does she want to date this old guy? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: Like, go date, you know, the Justin Theroux, like, you know, yeah. graffiti guy or whatever. All the young guys they introduced. All the hip downtown guys that she was, like,
0: found Timothy reasons. Oliphant?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think she was sort of like a Seinfeld for a while where it was like she Correct. finds something wrong with everybody. Sorry, yep, there yep, is yep. a leaf blower outside my house. I don't know oh, if you're I can't hear picking it. it up. No, no, are no, all good. Okay. Um but I think when I watch it now, it's like I find myself being like, oh, you know, like the Russian isn't so bad, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brishnikov is... uh It's funny. I'm watching Dickinson right now. Or I just oh, great. finished watching it. Cool. It's the best show. It's so great. It's the best. Um, That's my friend Elena. And, and his daughter's on it.
2: Yes. And she <laughs> She's great. great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that Carrie, like is obviously a very immature person in many ways, mm-hmm. and she's sort of sure. clinging to this idea of romance that she formed probably when she was a teenager, where it's like all consuming, all encompassing. You'd like throw mm-hmm. away everything else in your life for it. But it's yep. also a little bit superficial because it's not what happens. It's it's you know it's a honeymoon period thing. She's like sure. addicted to the honeymoon period sort of the same mm-hmm. way as like your Don Draper on Mad Men. What she mm-hmm. loves is like falling in love. You know, somebody falling mm-hmm. in love with her and her falling yep. in love with them and she's not yep. as prepared for the sort of boring mundane parts of a relationship and even when she and Big get together and settle down a little bit it's like she's totally claustrophobic immediately because yep. She actually is sort of like a lone
0: wolf. Well, this this goes back to sort of what you were saying at the beginning, and I fully agree with you, which is that I don't I don't really think that Carrie belongs in a relationship. I mean, not that we should use the movies as a as a metric of much, but you know, the second movie does. Their relationship isn't working. The marriage isn't working. They're not happy. She doesn't like being kept in one spot. Um, you know, she she likes, as you said, she likes being on the hunt. She's a lone wolf. That's what she is. I think that's, pretty, that's fine. Honestly, I think the
2: thing that Big and Carrie really need that the show would never let them do, but in reality, is yeah. they should have an open relationship.
0: <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I think I that don't with
2: a lot of things have come into, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that they would have on the show now that they didn't have that. Open relationships, the term mm-hmm. ghosting never comes up, even though that's what Big does to Carrie sometimes on the show. yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
0: I think, well, it's it's yeah. it's funny. We, we were talking about the the uh, the revival uh, as we as we wrap up. I, I think that you know, my gut says that what we're gonna have is um, four younger women that are introduced into this into this revival in some form or another that will spin off into some new show about women in their 20s or 30s in New York um, with periodic appearances from Carrie Bradshaw and the like um, and, and, and listen I'm, I'm fine with that and I think that that's kind of probably where they're headed but I, I just feel like I guess the bigger question I have is does Sex the City need to exist anymore? Does it actually fulfill anything?
2: Well I think all of these shows that are coming back like I can't think of a single reboot that's been good Except yep. for Twin Peaks, which, right, did which something was so insane. Totally different, you know? Yeah. yeah I think yeah. that I think with these reboots that the characters have lived in people's minds for so long that when you bring yeah. them back and you're like this is what they're like now, that it just makes people angry sometimes because they're like, mm-hmm. in my mind, they're like this, and I don't want to know what they'd really be up to these days necessarily, because it might when it's
0: I mean, don't you think that some shows are I mean, I think most shows are a time capsule, right? Like, they exist at a certain time, and you know, you brought up Twin Peaks, which is a perfect example of a show that we were all I mean, speaking for myself, I love the original show, I was very excited to see what the fuck he was going to do next, and then every single week, I found myself so challenged in the best possible way but basically Lynch being like, I am not giving you anything close to what you want, and when this thing is over it's going to be just as unresolved as it was 22 years ago
2: which I think is the only thing you can possibly do you know yeah. Yeah. and I also just understand why if like something was a big success you want to go back to it yeah yeah but um I also Think there's downsides to that. Maybe this is uh, on the theme of the episode. You can't go back.
0: You can't go back. I mean, and it is on theme. I mean, it does feel like that. This episode in particular does have a a looking in the rearview mirror quality to it. Um, and you do it at your own, you know, at your own risk, right? I mean, if you're going to be looking backwards, it means you're not looking forwards, and it means you're not making progress, right?
2: And if you're living in the past, you're not living in the present. And if you're living in yeah. the future, you're also not living in the present. Yeah, and yeah, that's like so, the big yeah. issue for. All all these women is like, I'll be happy when I have X, X and X. And it's like, well, you might be happy now and not even realize it (laughs) because you're so focused on getting those things. And when you look Mm -hmm. back on this time, you'll be like, oh, it was so fun. I could just pick up with my friends and go to the Hamptons for the weekend uh, because I didn't have kids. and I didn't have a mortgage or whatever. And everything becomes sort of romanticized once it's Mm -hmm. not the thing that's right in front of you.
0: Yeah, I mean, youth is wasted on the young. That that seems to be the one of the themes of this episode in some degree or another. Um, so at the end of every episode, I've been asking my guests who their favorite character is and why. Do you uh, have a, I mean, doesn't need to be one, it can be whatever, but is are there some characters that jump out at you?
2: I mean, I'm going to have to say Samantha just because... Um,
0: She's great. Justice
2: yeah. for Samantha, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did another podcast where we just come up with a fictional plotline for a future Sex in the City movie. That's awesome. My idea for the reboot was that she should just be played by the mannequin she played in Mannequin.
0: (laughs) That's a a great answer. And that way they wouldn't
2: have to use Kim Cattrall. They could just be like, hey, what's that mannequin over there? And then it's like, you know it's Samantha, and she's just like winking at them everywhere they go. You (laughs) can't see me, but I'm winking. I'm winking.
0: (laughs) I can see you. Yeah, I mean, I think that... um, you know, it's funny in the last She's episode. She's an asshole
2: too, though. She's transphobic in that one episode. I mean, like, really, yeah. nobody in this show is just purely. No one gets away unscathed. Good. Maybe yeah. like Stanford, who also.
0: I mean, he's a little he's a little tropey at times, but he's I, I like too him. I was
2: say, so two-dimensional, but like
0: yeah.
2: you know. I'm I'm always happy when he shows up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I mean, I think that the Samantha character is interesting. I was um I had David Idrisson on uh, last week for the previous episode, and uh, we were talking about you know the balancing act that is the Samantha character more so I think than any other character on the show in terms of her not tipping into caricature in terms of ma- making her. Well, that's so Kim Cattrall
2: is so great, you know, yeah, and I, agree. I think I agree. and I think Kim Cattrall obviously like chafed against the sort of. Yes, you know, against the show, mm-hmm. um, because she's got other stuff going on in her life that she would rather do.
0: Sure, but more power to her.
2: I think, yeah, I don't think it'll be the same without her. And I think even if they write her out in a in a maudlin way, it'll be, it'll be weird. They had Jennifer Coolidge on uh, the Andy Cohen Show, and he was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, would you replace?" Uh, Kim Cattrall and she was like no way <laughs> like,
0: yeah, no, no one no wants one that. can
2: do what she does she was like I have yeah. too much respect for Kim Cattrall which I thought mm-hmm. was like a great thing to say because I, I don't think you know, can just like plug in some other sex positive like character actress and and have it work I think the chemistry between the four of them was a very unique and distinct thing and the fans will know
0: I fully agree with you, and I would also say this too. I mean, listen, I would love to know what the drama is. I would love to know what exactly is transpiring. I think they just
2: hate each other. <laughs>
0: I mean, sure. I guess. I guess the question really is. Um, you know, can the show survive without her? My guess is they're gonna make it. People are gonna watch we're gonna it. We're all gonna it. talk about it, I and think, then we're gonna fucking shit on it or I think whatever. Kim
2: Cattrall is <laughs> the one person who's like, this doesn't need to exist. You know, we're like clinging to something right. whose time has passed, and we need to move on. And she's totally mm-hmm. right. But um, you know, I think everyone's gonna watch this anyway. So I also, and this is a HBO question Max, to you as
0: this is a question to you as a, as a fan and as someone who obviously uh, consumes um pop culture you know it's it's hard when your, when one of your favorite things ends in an unsatisfying way, right? Um, it would be a shame for these characters for the only time, for the last time for us to see them, for it to be in Sex and the City 2, which is kind of an abomination in its own way. Oh, it's
2: so bad. I haven't so, really seen the movies. I, I just have seen clips from them. And
0: Oh, you, you should watch them. I mean, like, um, they
2: should have learned from Ishtar that anytime somebody is like, we're going to make something that's like a Bob Hope and Bing Crosby Road movie, it's like, don't do uh-huh. that. Don't do that.
0: You know, there's been a lot of reevaluation of Ishtar uh, and oh, Elaine Ishtar May's is work. Ishtar's great.
2: Ishtar is amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it's not you know, Elaine May's fault. Um It's not.
0: It's and I also just read bad.
2: the Mike Nichols biography by Mark Harris, mm-hmm. which is amazing, and like one thing I learned from that was that just that Mike Nichols was also in director jail for a long time after making two flops in a row. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like people talk about Elaine May a lot as like oh like it's cuz she made a flop and she's a woman but it sort of is like anybody who doesn't make things that are profitable gets put mm-hmm. in director jail mm-hmm. and I think Elaine May was also kind of like fuck these people after a certain <laughs> point I think she was like yeah no I'll I just- mean
0: I Go I think she strips. made, the, she, yeah, she made the right call. She's like, "Fuck this noise! I don't need this in my life," um, and but she's also, obviously brilliant. But the
2: first yeah. half of Ishtar is like incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I just think that as a fan, as someone who you know has seen some of his favorite television shows end in somewhat unceremonious ways, I understand the desire. To think that you can get what you're looking for from said revival or said reboot, but like to your point, you
2: know, okay, to make it's this so like very Sex in the City e. Mm-hmm. I think it's like when a relationship doesn't work <laughs> yeah. and it ends, <laughs> yeah, and you go back to it and try to make yeah. it work.
1: It's yeah, not gonna yeah.
2: work. it ended for a reason, you know, yeah, I mean, no, I think there's probably exceptions every once in a while that you know people will cling to as like, well, these people broke up and got back together twenty years later, and it was great. So there you go. But I think for the most part, if you guys broke up the first time, when you get back together, you're gonna remember why you broke up the first time. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna say we're never gonna beat that, and it's a perfect way to end this episode. So I really do thank you so much, Molly, for coming on for and talking. Sure. I'm with gonna me. go and
2: throw up on the beach in a tube top now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope that uh, I hope that you'll come on the show for a movie or something like that in the yeah, future I'd as love well, to. But, and or for another TV show. But uh, I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: For sure.
0: Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcastlikeits. We're also on Twitter at podcastlikeits. We're also on Instagram at podcastlikeits. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs, and most of all, thank you all for listening.